There's no music if you have no body to play it with, so take care of your body first. You getting into the gym and you lifting weights and working on muscles, is this, it's physical therapy for the benefit of your playing. The truth is nothing works like just taking care of the simple stuff. Diet, exercise and sleep. Take care of that and you'll be fine. Join us as two musicians and fitness coaches discuss strength, wellness and fitness in relation to musicians, artists and performance. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Tuned and Strong podcast. This is a very well surviving Angela McHouston of Music Strong. <laughs> and this is Dr. Jen Cabas May of Tuned and Toned Performance. And we are joined today by a very special guest. Uh, this is Brian, and I'm not quite sure how to say your last name. Witzkowski, just pronounce it like an American would. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> And he owns a business called The Lucrative Artist. Did I say that correctly? Yes, The Lucrative Artist, as opposed to The Starving Artist or The Struggling Artist and all those other things we're too often conditionally, you know, trained to expect to have as our lives go on. Let's change our mindset, change the paradigm and make it okay to earn more for the right reasons, serving the right people we're meant to serve, doing what we want to do. <laughs> Absolutely. So we actually had, um, we had a guy named Vinny Shulshevsky, ironic twist of fate. I'm at my parents' house. He lives a mile this way. He moved like next to my parents. So he lives down the road. Um, amazing trumpet player. He, uh, in his episode, in the episode we did with him, he um, talked a lot about his mindset shift about how he went from, you know, taking whatever gig he could get to playing with Martina McBride to coming off the road and be like, eh, I'm not going to do anything for less than $1,000 a day. And so when they called him and he gave him that number, they were like, okay. And so now that's what he does. He only plays the gigs he wants. He gets paid well for it. He says yes to what he wants, no to what he doesn't. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but we look at him and think, well, that's the exception. I mean, there's only a few people who can do that. What do you say to that? There, everybody can do that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, there's there's so many people out there who are just ignorant as hell as to what you know things should be as far as how to even pay an artist and so forth so like half the battle sometimes is just not being afraid to give people the benefit of the doubt you know not and educating them about what goes into it and also not just talking about it from an entitlement perspective saying i have these degrees i should be paid blah 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 but more often the but actually talk about the experience and the value of what they're getting and why it's worth it and why they're worthy of paying you that respectable fee but it's a different way of thinking compared to, you know, what the rat race kind of teaches us, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, I mean, take what you can, get it while you can, you know, because everybody's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We actually so, talked about that in one of our last podcasts. I think we were talking about, uh, well, we talked about lack mindset leads to injury and that if, you know, you feel like you have to take every gig you have to, Otherwise, mm -hmm. someone else will get it. That you'll never get another call. There's not enough to go yeah. around. But I personally don't believe that. Um, I, I think there is some of that to be true, depending on what what the marketplace is that you're trying to serve. But I also think there's nothing wrong with looking outside the box. You know, there's lots of other opportunities. And uh, you actually sent me um you sent me an article this morning. I think that I think oh, speaks yeah. to that. 
Yeah, it was, um, I don't remember all of it because I read it right as I woke up, but it basically the, the guy quit music. He, I think he was going to Juilliard and um, he was just faced with, um, you know, like he saw these dwindling um, in the concerts. Sorry guys, I also have a concussion. Um, <laughs> so dwindling people in the audiences uh, in these classical music concerts and it was just the, the paradigm is that we play the music of the 12 officially sanctioned dead white guys. That's it. We do not, you know, it's like, we don't, we don't cater to the audience. Hello. That's you, that, then you don't have an audience. And then we wonder why we don't have an audience. And then, you know, it's, it's like, no, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with change. Yeah. And even those 12 dead white guys, like those audiences, Give them, they actually do want to learn about it, but we're not putting that even that work to teach, teach them about that. Right, right. I and I remember feeding the same music over and over, and that's it. Yeah, I remember back in my um, elementary music class. You know, like oh well, we're going to learn the basic, basic, basics. I think I was like a fourth grader or younger than that, probably second grader. And it's like, oh, this is Mozart and he's really fancy. I apologize for my cat. He's very upset that there's friends outside who are not coming in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was like, oh, he's super fancy and he worked for this king and his stuff is really, you know, artsy and very, very, very good. And you should respect him. And I hated Mozart until I found out the kind of person he actually was, <laughs> which was like he was sex, a drugs, rock and roll. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you you were crazy and really out there. Mm -hmm. Like, now I understand you. Now I can relate because you're not just some snooty, stiff person who's above me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so Brian, my, my oh, sorry, my, my point is that, you know, really introducing people to who these composers were, not just you should respect them because we said so. I mean... If it made a difference for me, I can only imagine it would make a difference for a lot of other people too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but the concerts that I like to go to are the ones with stuff I haven't heard. Like uh, one of the last concerts I went to was Benjamin Britten's War Requiem, which I'd never heard. Uh, you know, there's tons of composers that, that don't get any airtime. So if it's something new, that's what I want to listen to. Like, okay, what's new? I haven't heard this. This could be great. I could hate it. I don't know. Let's check it out. But, you know, if it's another Beethoven symphony, great. I've heard a million of those. Move on. Next. Unless I'm in the mood. So that's all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Beethoven symphonies are great. You know, they're great for treadmill, for running and so forth. You know, at least the fast movements. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's true. So, Brian, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah. yeah so long story short, I got tired of trying to make it a voice professor because everybody else and their mother apparently have the same business plan for life. As, you know, get your doctorate, expect to get a college teaching job, and that's it. And, you know, apparently there's not enough positions for all the people who are expecting that design of life, if you want to call it that. So I had a more or less shifted in different directions. I originally looked into becoming a career coach and career development offices and looked into higher, like, administrative positions in higher ed and just realized that's a different kind of, you know, it's a different kind of rabbit hole you don't really want to go down. But what I really wanted was not to help people get jobs they don't want, but really help people create the jobs they do want and help people, and really when it comes to the money and the mindset and the growth that is necessary to really make it as an elite entrepreneur, which if you want to make any kind of even middle-class amount of income as not 
as an artist, you basically need to think like an elite entrepreneur in 2021 and beyond or 2022. It's a new year. I forgot. So, (laughs) and, but the skills that we need to make it as an entrepreneur just are not taught to us. Not at all. And also the mindset to have a healthy relationship with money and be okay with selling and asking for money for the right amount and how to actually do about it in a mutually empowering way and so forth. There's so many skills that we aren't taught. So that's kind of where I end up going down my own um, journey kind of of self-discovery, kind of realizing where I struggle and where I can help people and help people really get over that fear of selling and really honor their worth and, you know, put together, you know, basically allow themselves to earn the money they actually want to earn doing what they want to do, serving the people they actually want to serve. It, it is possible. So we've, we've kind of had a little bit of this conversation before, especially with Heidi KBA, um, where, and I have this, I'm currently, I think I'm coming out of this issue personally, <laughs> where it was, you know, the career plan, you know, I, I love teaching. I always wanted to continue teaching and now I'm just doing it a different way. Anyway, um, but there's always that moment, right? That thing that makes you go, well, this is clearly not working, but am I betraying myself by switching? Um, and I don't know if you're comfortable discussing that, but um, if you want to talk about maybe what what was that moment for you or if what what is that moment that you see when you're working with your current clients? Um, how does that one work? Thing, how do you come out of it? Yeah, with my own journey, one thing I kind of had a realization is that the people that I was most concerned with, you know, getting the approval of as far as making the right career moves and all that stuff, mm-hmm. they haven't made a tangible contribution in my life anyway beyond, you know, back when I was in school with them. It's not like after school, they suddenly are still helping me or anything of that sort. So, you know, putting though, you know, trying to cater to that agenda, if they even had one, which most of them, they're too busy thinking about their current students to even think about you. So it's not like they're actually going out of their way to be disapproving of whatever's happening or not happening in your life kind of a thing. You know, it's kind of weird how we look back and we think our previous teacher or somebody else might be looking down on us or whatever, and mm-hmm. they're in their own little world. No one's thinking about that, you know? So really in the end, we got to focus on what we want and not worry about what other people are thinking and just do, you know, what we really want to, want to do. What about when it's a self thing? Like I, I never, you- I, my mentors um, were always very supportive. Like when I, I, talked to my most recent one about, you know, I'm kind of going down this path and I don't know how I feel about it. Very supportive. So from that end, it wasn't trying to appease that person. It was that I was having a hard time with like, am I betraying myself? You know, I've wanted this thing since I was 14 and I'm just kind of bailing on it is what it felt like. Yeah. One question I want people are in those situations, I always ask them is what are you resisting? You know, there's always something that we're resisting as far as what we do next and, you know, what's holding us back. And, you know, also don't be afraid to keep asking that question. What do you really, really want? And what what's keeping you from stepping in that direction? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, we're not necessarily betraying ourselves. We're doing, you know, what we're meant to do, what we want to do. And, you know, it's not as if we can really control. We also have to put ourselves in a position where we're not trying to be at the mercy of what the industry decides for us mm-hmm. so that, you know, and sometimes yeah. we're, we're actually, we're betraying, it's really the, uh, how can I put this? Um, <laughs> betraying the like, industry, not ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We enslaved the music. <laughs> the, the industry yep. is betraying us. Is really exactly. I and they're getting, that's... and it's karma for them now, <laughs> basically. Yeah, stepping into the fear, I find like, 
when you're afraid of something, it's a lot of, you know, our best results a lot of times are on the opposite side of fear, but you have to step into it. Um, and that's, that's kind of hard to do in our industry because everything, it seems like it's, it's geared towards, we've talked about this before, how our industry is like, you have two options to be quote, a legit musician. And whoever comes up with this, this is just, these are the, I think these are people in higher ed that are stuck in the fifties. My gosh, it's been 70 years. Would you freaking move on? No, apparently not. You know, actually side note, I put this out on Instagram the other day, like, okay, this is my idea for, I think I sent this to you. This is my idea of what a new course curriculum for a performance degree would look like. Half of everything that we get now was not on that list. You get one year of theory, one year of oral training, not five, not eight, not, you get one. You get piano, you get marketing, you get lessons, you get ensembles, you get social media skills, you get wellness courses, you get, you know, I mean, it's just, can we move, can we move on? But like, I don't know why these, why these um, schools of higher ed are so afraid of stepping into, I mean, it's like, it's little tiny baby steps, but if, if it's, if it's broke, fix it. Not if it's not broke, it is broken. Like you're not setting these students up for a career in anything. I mean, except getting your doctorate and then how many, how many uh, positions in higher ed are open every year? A handful, maybe. Same with orchestras. And why is it only orchestras? Why are we looking down on studio musicians or touring musicians or gigging musicians or freelancers? Why is that a secondary thing? That's what I love doing. I mean, I'm in an orchestra, but it's part-time and that's perfect for me. Army band is part-time and that's perfect for me. It allows me to do all kinds of things, but am I a secondary musician because I don't have a full-time orchestra job or I don't have a doctorate? No, but I mean, like, that's what we're kind of, that's what we're taught, you know, yeah. stepping into that fear of, of what's on the other side and what can I do? And actually, um, well, I had a thought and I just totally lost it. Sorry. <laughs> I was going somewhere with that and it's gone. <laughs> yeah. One to tag on to that is like my sister played French horn. She got her master's degree and she was good enough to be the first chair of a major orchestra, but she mm-hmm. went to a different direction because and one thing that motivated her to you know, move on into a different thing, she now does consulting and music ed related stuff. And she was the director of the youth orchestra of Los Angeles's first franchise organization and did some amazing things for children. But she basically found, found out that all these people are just they're It's not even they're living out their passion. It's just they turn what they loved and what they're meant to do and just to another run of the mill job. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, do you want to spend the rest of your life doing it that way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I had that same kind of thought, though, um, on a different level. Well, maybe a, year, a couple of years ago, I had a real kind of crisis with what I'm doing as a personal trainer. And I thought, am I, am I selling myself out because I'm not pursuing music full time? I mean, I've always wanted to play on movie soundtracks. I've always wanted to do studio work. Um, why am I not pursuing that? Is this, is this selling out what I'm doing? I love what I'm doing, but is this, am I really selling? And I had this whole identity thing of like, what's the truth of this? Is this really, you know, there's the, the whole um, thing about like, like my identity, Where, what is this? And, it, and then it's like, well, who says you're selling out? Who's, who's creating? Or if identity? anything, we tell other people you're selling yourselves out to the gatekeepers, mm-hmm. you know? They're selling themselves out too in the same way. Mm, good point. Good point. So what would you say to somebody who's kind of afraid to pivot into something that they've found that they like, that they're afraid of like 
you know, selling out because they're not pursuing music full time, but it's in a different direction. I mean, if it's what you want to do, go for it. Life's too short to, you know, wait around for other people's approval and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you know, the other thing is like all the, most of the people that were scared of, you know, judging us or whatever, they're too busy, you know, with their perfect Instagram profile and doing other stuff. They're not, most of the people we're afraid of don't have time to deal with us anyway. So sometimes we forget that though, and the, the way social media works and so mm-hmm. forth. Yeah. And if anybody's going to come after you on social media, that person has some problems at home. So exactly. <laughs> it's like, they're just projecting their own issues. And then I there's the block button. Yeah. Another fun thing is one, but one of the um, self-help books that I first read was by James Altucher, choose yourself. And one thing that stuck out to me that I always remember is that no matter what, there's always going to be a third of the people that don't like you, another third of the people that are neutral and don't care, but there's another third that likes you. And you can make more than enough money and have enough prosperity from just a small fraction of that one third. So, you know, sometimes like I'm at a point where it's like, okay, you're not my client. Have a nice life, you know, and that's it. Oh, that's so good. Like having the, 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 the power to say, no, I don't want to work with you. I don't have to work with you. I choose not to work with you. Because how many times do we take a gig just for the money and we're miserable or we hate it or we're stressed out? Was it really worth yeah. it? Did we really need yeah. it? Could we have said no and they had a better day? But we, you know, that's an excellent, that's an excellent point. I love that, actually. Now, one of the last shows I actually did before I finally realized that, you know, just doing a show for the sake of doing a show, the show was called Breaking Up is Hard to Do. So it's like breaking up with that habit of trying to, you know, have X number of lines on the resume per year to prove that I'm still having a legit career and all that crap. And I finally did break up with that. It was a journey, but a fitting song title, I guess. (laughs) It's good for sure. So um, what are just thinking about some of the things that um, we've talked about, you introduced me to uh, David Nagel, I think, and Chris Kenny, Chris Kenny. Yeah, yeah, those are two coaches that I'm, I've been following and I'm going to be working with eventually. And I've actually been to David Nagel's Art of Success Summit that takes place twice a year. It's a great experience. Yeah, we actually... But, um, yeah. Oh, I say we just, we just mentioned, I didn't mention him by name, but Chris was the guy that I mentioned in our last podcast episode. Who charges 30 grand to work with him for a year. And it's not even him. You get four phone calls. Well, four. Yeah. I mean, you get three phone calls a week and they're basically, it was based on um, three phone calls a week with people of his team. And they're, they're focused on three different aspects of whatever. I forget what it was. And then you get one phone call with him a quarter. So, and he's charging 30 grand. I mean, that's $2,500 a month. How many of us can do something like that? I bet a lot yeah. of us can. And when he said that, my first thought, like I mentioned in our last podcast, my first thought was, <laughs> are you serious? Wait a minute. Why not? I mean, if you we spend more of that in college tuition at conservatories, right? How many I'm looking at buying a $20,000 flute. What's the difference, right? I mean, how much are these, how much is a contrabassoon? How much is a, you know, how much do we spend on our cars and whatnot? And when you just frame it that way, it's, it's because of value. So Mm -hmm. he is obviously very confident in the value he's going to provide. It's not the stuff. It's how is that going to change your life? And with our, with what we do, why don't we charge something like that? Why do we accept $40 for a lesson and a hundred bucks for a gig? I mean, come on. Why do we, why, yeah. you know, have you had One any? One thing I was working with my clients, for example, work on like, what is the lifetime value of what you're offering? 
because when you put it in that perspective, instead of comparing it to just another run-of-the-mill lesson or some other experience that people are used to, like as opposed to thinking that commodity think way of thinking, you're thinking, okay, what is this investment opportunity? What what is the return on investment for the rest of my life? You know, like voice lessons, for example, that's something where you're not just, you know, it's not just the time that you're paying for, that you're also getting a return on that investment for the rest of your life. You're gonna have a better speaking, you know, abilities, you're gonna have better presentation skills, you're gonna have, you know, so many other things that are gonna to contribute to making your life more valuable. So like, how do you put that in the right way? Mm. Increased confidence. And then same for like, yeah. And also <laughs> like, for example, your fitness coaching, um, you know, better health. What is, how do you put a price on that? Not needing back surgery, how much is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to be my own case study here because I had surgery on my thumb here 48 hours ago. And um, I mean, to be honest, this was a bicycle accident. This is the price of being healthy. Sometimes you take a risk. I mean, could I have stayed inside and taken my Christmas tree down and hung out and done nothing? Sure. But it was 70 degrees on Christmas on, on New Year's day. I had to go. And then I just happened to get caught in the rain. And then I just happened to be flying and apparently wiped out. I don't really remember. Thank goodness. Um, but you know, it's just, it's just the, it's just the nature of life. I mean, you can't live your life in a bubble. I'm going to get back out on my bike as soon as, uh, I heal up and the weather's nice. I'm not scared, but oh, go ahead. On that, on that note though, I'm, cause I know a lot of people are going to look at this and go, oh, well, this is why we don't do that stuff. It's dangerous and lifting is dangerous. I'm like, you got more chance of getting in a car accident. that's going to mess you up than you do of really getting hurt like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I'm going to be, I'm going to be my own study. Like this is what, so I had to have thumb surgery. My first thought is like, oh, thank goodness. It's not this thumb. Cause I play, you know, this is the one that just holds. Oh, cool. So look at the bright side. I got hardware here now. Now I don't have to use as much bone. I got the metal in here to hold the flute. Oh, this is great. Whatever. But you know, now it's like, how long am I going to be out of commission? How long is this going to take to heal? I'm now the, the case study of when you're strong, when you are healthy, when you're taking care of yourself, your healing rate, like this is five days. You all should have seen me five days ago. It was horrible. They thought I'd fractured my face. They thought all of this was broken. They thought, you know, um, they were really worried about my insides because I had pain there that, you know, they thought all these things. And then it turns out I'm not. And this, because I'm healthy and I'm taking care of myself, this is bone broth, by the way, you know, the, the swelling has gone down really fast. The healing in five days is amazing. So when you're taking care of yourself, the healing rate is so much faster. But at the same time, if you're taking care of yourself, you don't get an overuse injury. You won't have to be out of commission with your instrument for six weeks. You know, that's how I put a price on it. How much would it cost to not work with me versus what it does? What happens if you get injured and you have to have surgery and then you have to have physical therapy and then you have to blah, blah, blah. We're talking months now, you know. So that's how I kind of put a price tag on it. That's great. Yeah. And also then the lifetime value of actually working with you too, compared to that, you take, you know, sometimes we forget with, when it comes to sales conversations, we got to focus on, you know, the positives and as well as the negatives of not doing anything and put them together. That's how you can help close at a higher price for the right reasons with the right people. Mm-hmm. But it, with the right people. That's a, that's a, that's a good one. So for anybody who's looking at lessons, this is a fun one. So if you're thinking, you know, you're teaching lessons, you can turn a parent down. You yep. can choose to not work with a kid. I've fired kids before. It's fine. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I feel like this might be a good time to take a break. Excellent point. Quick break. Yeah. And when we come back, I've got a series of questions for you. <laughs> Excellent. We'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tune Dan Strong podcast. Um, I'm sorry, Brian. I already forgot how to say your last name again, but we are here again with Brian. Witzkowski. Okay. <laughs> I'll get it one day. I've got the same issue with Just... mine. So. <laughs> yeah, they always say, what's a, what, what's a Polish man give his wife on their wedding day that's long and hard? It's a last name. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. That's fantastic. That is <laughs> accurate. It's always fun when I lived in Chicago on the west side in the Polish communities. You, you could, there are some parts where you could actually live there and and only speak Polish and survive. And sometimes I'd show up and people start speaking to me in Polish, and all I have is my last name, and the only word I know is dupa, which means butt. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. That's, that's <laughs> unfortunate for them. <laughs> yeah. So, where do you live but now? Unfortunately. Though? Right now I'm in Michigan. I'm working on getting back to California That's later great. on this year. So, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where I'm from Detroit and every time I leave, it's like, I've always come back and have a love hate relationship with it. I love it. I love it. But at the same time, I'm reminded why you want to move somewhere else, you know, and yeah. enjoy the better weather and the mountains and all that other stuff that you don't always have too much of here. So I'm, I'll just have I to have set up for having a home in both it. places. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, I get that. I'm from Arizona, living in Florida, and I'm like, there are some things I really don't like about Arizona anymore. I, I do love it there, but there are a couple of things that I'm like, no, nah, this is better over here. There's a lot of things that I'm like, God, I hate Florida. <laughs> yeah. I went to, I did my doctorate in Arizona, so. Oh, know, okay. Bear down. Okay. <laughs> and I, All right. The rival school, if I that's right. into that, I wouldn't care. Like, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> well, the phone number for U of A is 1-800-BEAT-ASU. So <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> awesome. About right. Yeah. So back to topic. Um, we were talking about um, sales and um, just being an entrepreneur as a musician. Um, and on that, on that note, um, I guess we've got a series of questions here, but um what would you say to somebody who's ready to get started, wanting to get started, um, but doesn't know anything about sales or client relationships or even just taking that first step? You know, for starters, it's not, you know, selling in general, it's not about this thing where you're learning how to become a master manipulator or you're trying to, you know, memorize a script or do all these other things. It's really about just learning how to have an authentic conversation and really and forge that, you know, organic relationship in the right way so that eventually when the time comes to have, you know, a sale possibility or having the conversation in an empowered way. And it's all about getting the clarity as to whether or not they're yes or no. You're not tricking them into becoming a yes if they are a no. You just want to get them the clarity. And then you turn the no into a yes by either, by usually, by then you get them clarity and then they know who to refer you to later on. But half the battle is also just not being afraid to put yourself out there and you know, it can feel icky and gross because like really, if you think about it, the way the internet is with all the spamming and all that crap that we have to deal with, like yeah. sales is, you know, how we experience it in our day-to-day -day lives is something we don't actually want most of the time. So mm -hmm. how to do it the right way is something we're not accustomed to. So it's a different thing to learn. So 
how would we do it the right way then? Since again, when I hear people talking about it from my end, um, and I'm very much like anti-social media at this point, but it's, it's a lot of, you've got to post this many times a day. You've got to do these paid ads. You've got to have, you know, email lists where you're taking emails from anybody else's list that's related to you and sending once a day to that. Is that still valid or, or is there sometimes like in some ways it depends on who your exact, you have to get clarity on who your ideal client is and not be afraid to hang out where those ideal clients are, where that target audience is. I like the joke that the more money the client plays, the less they give a damn about your Instagram, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Really like how many millionaires are hanging out on Instagram? Yeah. And if somebody's actively looking for a reason to criticize your social media, they're looking for a reason to tell you no anyway. So mm-hmm. it's like not worth stressing over the way, of course, the people who are, they make lots of money over social media marketing and stuff. They don't want me to say that, you know, but they're not my client anyway, so I don't care. So, but it's, you know, it's right like, on. like the things that we think we have to stress over because we, you know, we scroll so much on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff every day. We think we have to be perfect, like all these other profiles. And, you know, we don't, mm-hmm. you know, half the battle is not being afraid to, you know, go into those, this, you know, go and have direct messages or even better have a phone call. You know, phone calls are actually the arguably more effective because people, if they'll answer the phone and they, if they answer the phone, there's a reason and you can actually talk to them more often than not, you know, if they didn't want to talk to you, they wouldn't have answered the phone. So don't be afraid to try the, you know, you know, actual, you know, authentic, you know, communication with people as opposed to you know, the fake stuff online. Yeah. There was a, on that note, actually, I had a good conversation with somebody the other day. Um, I put out, Um, I've got a, my pilot program is called job security and it's not for everybody, but for the people it is for, I I think it's a really, it's a really solid program. I'm pretty proud of it. Um, And I think it's actually got a ton of lifetime value to it. And I actually put this out in uh, emails and I have somebody who signed up for my email back in August, came out of nowhere and we had an email conversation. I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect for you. Um, And it's, it's, I felt like the need to convince her, but it wasn't like a manipulative thing. It's like, Hey, you want to have a phone call and we'll just determine if this is right for you. And as soon as we got on the phone, she told me about what she wanted to do with her life. I'm like, this is perfect. This is exactly what you need to fill that void to make your studio uh, different. It's like, you're going to have this offering. Nobody else does. This is, this is perfect. And all I could think was, this is how a sales call is supposed to be. Because when you find the right person, it's about helping meet their need. It, yeah, I get the money from it, but I'm also, I did the work. They get the value. It's a win-win. It's not a sleazy, because I don't want somebody in my program. I've had some people in my program that flaked out and haven't done the work. Uh, I also gave it to them for free. They didn't value it, and they weren't the right people. So having a sales call like that, um, it, it was a Zoom call. But I mean, I did that um, with a person actually in, I sold her some online training, and she's in Switzerland. And she's like, I think it's this, but maybe this. And I'm like, well, let's, let's talk and see what's right for you. It's not about is the higher ticket or the lower ticket thing the right thing uh, based on I need the money. It's what's right for you. And when you talk to people, you can actually do that. And it also helps you connect with them and it helps you understand better. Oh, yeah, this service I have, even what, regardless of price, is really the better fit. And then you let them make that decision. It's about helping, not being gross. Yeah. And getting, you know, I like to say, say sales is not something you do to someone, it's something you do for them. So you're facilitating the space yeah. for them to grow and 
do what they actually want, you know, give them what they're actually looking for mm-hmm. as opposed to pushing them into something they don't really want. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're not ready for, which is what I tend to run into. I know I was given a hard time by somebody I was working with for a long time about not being good at closing sales. I'm like, if you want to work with me with what I do, you have to be ready for it. Like you're not, I I still haven't, I talked about this gal who came up and was asking about my, my classes uh, months ago and her mindset was not in the right place. I told her what the mindset needed to be. I told her where I was. She was welcome to come by, you know, but I'm like, she could be a good fit, but if her mindset's not there, she's going to fail. And then that's terrible for everybody. Not just me, not just her, but also it's going to drag down the group experience too. Which nobody likes. (laughs) During my journey, like when I first started out, I originally thought all my ideal clients would be like my former students and the likes, you know, because I basically taught at a college and I had, people who are there, they don't know what the hell to do with their life next. And, but they were just weren't mentally ready for that entrepreneurial leap. And really what's kind of interesting is like, I'd reach out to my colleagues and other professors and so forth. And really the people who I thought were the referral sources were actually, they're actually, many of them actually became clients because they actually needed the help. So, you know, I've kind of pivoted and COVID kind of gave me more of that clarity too, where people, the leadership also needs help with this mindset work. You know, yeah. and so it's kind of like I'm carrying out my mission where I'm helping. It's almost a trickle down effect in some ways. I'm helping the leaders, the master teachers and others, you know, earn what they should be earning. Like a lot of my clients are people who they should be, you know, just based on where they are at their lives and careers, they should be making six figures hands down and they're not. And there's a mental mm-hmm. block behind that. So helping them get to that, because what's really interesting is like some I had a client who's sang at the Metropolitan Opera. She paid over 100 for a lesson back in the early 90s but is scared to death of charging today's inflation adjusted rate, which is more than 200 now. 200 at least. You know, Especially yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. So isn't that crazy? I know people who still charge $20 a half hour lesson. It's like, you cannot live on that. No. Just no. up it. You'll, you'll read yeah. out the, the people will pay it. They don't care. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be and, surprised. And one thing I do is I help people get out of that, you know, strict time for money trade. Because you're not really paying for the hour, you're paying for the experience, the process. You know, the process is really what you're selling, not just one lesson. There's that's just a part of the whole product. So sometimes it helps to think, you know, sell for a year, a year tuition or whatever, and think of yourself as selling a mini university or whatever. You know, you're also mm-hmm. selling the curation of the resources, the materials and stuff. And even if the book costs only such and such on Amazon, the fact that you're giving it to them makes it more valuable so you can charge more in a way. You know. Yeah. Is, is it that, um, sorry, just to clarify that last statement, is it that um, that particular person is having the student order on Amazon or they're ordering it and providing it? Is well, it I, should, I should say the totality, the total curation of everything is where the okay. real value is, regardless of the, the actual list. price is what I mean. So yeah. it's like, okay. yeah, you're getting the, the list and the combination together and the step-by-step process and so forth. Because mm-hmm. you can be told, you know, it's not enough to have the book. You got to know exactly you have to be the, you being the authority figure recommending it, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's value to be had behind that. Yeah. Well, and then oh, you're yeah. going to tell them how to use that. Cause there's a lot of books that I use and I'm like, yeah, but we're not going to do it as the book wants you to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I went to the New York kinetic therapy course. I have, I've had the book for years. I had no idea what it meant. 
no mm -hmm. clue. And it cost what, $12, 20 bucks most. I saved up and there was a $650 course for two days and I flew to Canada to do it just because I wanted an excuse to go to Canada. I could have gone to Chicago, but Canada sounded cooler. So <laughs> everybody's like, why are you here? I'm like, why not? So, I mean, but it was a $650 course for two days. We used that book. Suddenly that book, I had no idea what it meant, became invaluable. Now I understood it. Now I reference it constantly. So, you know, the totality of those two things together when, when put into practice can change lives. So yeah. huge value. Like one book I give to all my clients is by Price Pritchett <laughs> called You Squared, only $10 from his website. But, you know, the, the process and the transformation that can have just from some of the text in there, it's, it can be literally worth thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands, mm. maybe millions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And I love the thought that we're having about, you know, the, it's just the, just the conversation around higher priced things, because I think mm -hmm. as musicians, we're afraid to charge on the whole. We're afraid to be rejected and turned down and suddenly have no gig. But now, I mean, we're throwing out these thousands of dollars. I mean, when you think about it in the term of a year, um, what you spend on something like I thought about it the other day, if I, I have, um, if someone signs up with training for me for a year, it's equated to $75 an hour, as opposed to doing a one-off, which is 125. Okay. $75 an hour times a year is like $3,200. But if I came up to you and said, I'm going to charge you, this is a $3,000 program. People go, Whoa. I'm like, yeah, it's once a week for 75 bucks. Oh, okay. You know? So, I mean, just taking that into perspective of like, why don't we charge $10,000 for things? Then you break yeah. it down and suddenly it's more manageable. And we go, oh, yeah, I can do that. I spend that on whatever. It's just nice to have these higher price things. And I think the more we talk about it, the more familiar it gets, the less scary it gets. Yeah. And also another positive thing about charging higher prices is when you charge like a sticker price that could be five, 10, $20,000 or 30,000, like you're actually facilitating, you're, you're basically giving them, how do I, how do I word this? You're making it okay for them down the road to also charge that much because they pay it to you. That's, that's their first transactional experience or whatever, where they're used, mm -hmm. they're accustomed to paying for it. They can then finally sell it. Whereas if you haven't invested in yourself at a high level, it's hard to suddenly get people to pay you to invest in themselves. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel and, and one thing I always tell people, especially my clients who are like teachers and like basically however much you charge, you are basically raising the floor for what your students can charge, you know, because your floor is their ceiling usually. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Totally. I know I still have that block of like, I don't know that I want to charge more than my mentor charged me. <laughs> How many Just years ago it. was that though? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I do, I, I do intend to, but. <laughs> and for the longest time when I was in college, I finished my doctorate and I still only charged $50 for a lesson because all of my teachers who had tenured positions and so forth, they, they only charged $50 for the lessons outside of the actual credit hours at school Yeah. because they didn't really need the extra money. And right. if like, Meanwhile, I was expecting to pay a hundred dollars or more for a lesson, you know, just the idea of paying a respectable fee. Like even when I was in high school, yeah. I was expecting to pay a hundred dollars a minimum to a for a lesson for with, you know, any kind of credible authority figure or professor, professor or somebody like that. Like I was expecting to pay a respectable sum, but right. then some of these same people are then planting the seeds in us that we can't actually charge that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and what I came to realize too, with that, not passing what my, what my professor was charging was like, well, she gives that rate number one because she doesn't need the money, the extra money. Well, probably doesn't, I'm assuming. 
but also that is a rate for a student that she is trying to bring in. That's an important yeah. distinction. You know, that's, that's, it's not like a, you know, third grade beginner, fourth grade beginner can call and say, Hey, I want lessons with you. How much is it? No, you know, <laughs> it's not like a high school senior who's not already on the radar can call and say, Hey, I want a lesson with you. How much is it? You know, want to take a series of lessons like, okay. So that pool of people is not accessible to the general public. Therefore that rate is not valid. If you are trying to be a freelance instructor. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's not available to the general public. You are able to charge more because that's a private rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if, you know, we really, even if we do have, you know, a direct comparison between another teacher or whatever, what they're charging in the end, we're still yeah. not pineapples at the grocery store. We all have our own unique brilliance, our unique offerings and things that it doesn't matter what somebody else charges. You know, I always tell people that my clients, they're not shopping for a coach. You know, they know yeah. they want to work with me. It doesn't matter the price I name. And if they are, you know, price motivated, then there's something else going on. And it's really probably not the best fit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. I mean, people, but that's what I say with people. It's like, look, I'm a personal trainer, but if you're looking for me, you're not looking for any personal trainer. Usually. Yeah. I mean, if you find me, you're looking for something specific. So you know, I'm not trying to base my rate on what my peers are charging because they don't do what I do. So honestly, yeah. I can charge whatever the heck I feel like is appropriate. Yep. You know, I also mean, with the coaching, like I, I like to say too, if you think I'm competing with another coach, you probably need to hire us both. <laughs> Good. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. There's nothing wrong no. with that. Nope. I like that idea. Yeah. So actually, I mean, I had a sales conversation, um, through email with a couple of people, um, same thing, the, the job security program that I have, it was $1,500 for the beta program. Now the beta program has ended. It's full price at $3,250, which I'll be honest is a, is a jump for me. I've never charged anything like that, but I, I see the value in it. I'm, I'm really solid on that. And what I found amazing was these conversations through email price didn't come up. That was not the objection. It was this, this, and the other thing. And when I kept mentioning, Hey, the price is going to double here and blah, blah, blah not concerned. It was, Hey, I got to do this first and whatever. And so it's like, if it's the right program for you, people see the value. The money is not that important. And that's, that's something we got to get into our heads. People will see the value with you. And if they want to work with you, they will. And if they don't, they make excuses. So one thing I noticed, like people who say they can't afford something, usually they're, they're either lying or they're crying. They're lying and they just want to say no, or they're crying for help. And part of our job is to find out what that answer is. That's great. So what do you do when they're crying for help? Well, uh, it depends on the situation, of course, but half the battle though is like, you know, like basically help them become resourceful, you know, help them think through the options. Sometimes you never know, they might actually have a trust fund or some other, you know, resource that they have in their family or whatever, where they easily could come up with the money, but they're just not used to spending it. So it's a matter of like, just having the conversation to talk about all the possibilities. And also I've had some people where, I just challenge them. Think of 30 people you could ask for this money from, you know, no matter the reason, just write them all down and don't be afraid and, you know, contemplate what you'd say in the conversation and so forth. Because sometimes, you know, you can't just be, don't be afraid to ask. Sometimes there are people who want to help you. You know, the, Mm -hmm. the stock market's at record highs. That means there are a lot of boomers with record retirement account balances, you know, (laughs) don't tell them I said that. (laughs) Sorry. 
you know? Yeah. You never yeah. know. So th there's a lot of money out there in the world. Just, it's a matter of, you know, not being afraid to, you know, knock on enough doors and find the right people to ask. Just like if you're trying to get customers for your business, you got to not be afraid to knock on enough doors. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, it's not saying, you know, well, you know, let's sit down and you show me a list of your expenses and I'll tell you what you can cut. Right. Because that, that's kind of a sketchy thing to do. Yeah, exactly. It's more about letting them, you know, see the, see the possibilities. And also mm -hmm. sometimes it is a matter of not really telling about how to use their, spend their money, but right. if, you know, there, if you're, if you're willing to, you know, be resourceful of what your expenses are, if you're willing to do something, if there's a will, there might, sometimes you can talk them and give them some ideas of how they can maybe, you know, pay for it in a different way. And another thing I always help clients do is like, mm -hmm. what, what could you sell right now? Sometimes we don't think we could just simply pre-sell and, you know, selling a discount, sell a year's worth of lessons for half off for somebody who's willing to do that. And there you go. You have the working capital, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, do something daring like that. And sometimes then we have to, you know, live in the fear of, oh, but then I'm only helping the rich students or something like that. And, you know, that's not the right mindset to go in. No, because that's like, you're you're giving value back to an investor who's going to fund your ability to improve. Right. Yeah. And also, you're, it's like you're giving them a guaranteed return on investment. If you were to mm -hmm. give somebody a pay in full, you know, discount or whatever, you're basically they're saving 20 percent, you know, by giving the money all to you as opposed to risking it in the stock market or something like yeah. that, you know, or whatever yeah. else they do. So, you know, even if, you know, they're they're taking out a risk that's, you know, worthy of being honored and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just just to, 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 to clarify on this, we're not just talking about lessons. We're talking about people who what if you want to fund your own. A, a tour you've always wanted to do a tour and you don't have the money for a tour or you want to do a recording or you want to start a band and you need money for blah blah, blah whatever it is i mean we're not just talking about lessons this is anything yeah. yeah yeah and there's patreon too that's like that's a game changer for a lot of people just start up a patreon page and tell people about it i like to joke that if your church doesn't want to pay you more than just you know tell your tell the congregation about your patreon page <laughs> 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 That might have some truth to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not saying hijack the sermon and tell them, but you know, if you have to, maybe. <laughs> Probably not. That's funny. Yeah. So you don't have any, um, just to clarify, so do you have any programs right now? Or are you just doing one-on-one -on -one, uh, coaching, Brian? Yeah, right now I'm mainly, I'm currently taking enrollment for new one-on-one -on -one private clients for the year people who want to really up level their business and really dive into, you know, what's holding them back as far as their mindset around money and what they're, how they can package and position their offerings to, you know, take that income to the next level in the new year. My word of the year is double for 2022 because we got so many twos in that year number. So let's, you know, open our minds up to the possibility of how we can double our income or, or at least, you know, set the goal and, you know, see what could happen. So helping people with that. And next month I'll be launching a group opportunity and then I'm also working on some other virtual seminars and so forth that'll be coming up. So check on my website, thelucrativeartist.com for updates there. Very cool. And do you Ooh. just work with musicians? I work with, I'm kind of, my, I'll admit my niche is kind of evolving in some ways. Like the real through line that goes beyond the arts is people who struggle with subjective pricing, where you're, you're offering services where, you know, it can it can be a challenge to, you know, cause you're not working in a commodity context. So I've also, I've had clients who are like lawyers who struggle with, you know, what to charge and, you know, other service providers as well, but mainly artists, um, musicians, 
and also people who are um, who work in, who are creating other services. I've had some former professors who are leaving academia because academia is its own you know problem these days, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But helping okay. people really step into that entrepreneurial growth and not be afraid to you know seize the day and have and take advantage of the opportunities that are out there because there's so much we can do in the world and we have a purpose. We're meant to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And we can't be afraid <laughs> to charge for it. I mean, exactly. What was it that I heard the other day? Michelangelo was not poor. He was one of the wealthiest uh, artists of his day. He was not a starving artist. Why should yeah. we be? We've exactly. all got a level of a genius. I and mean, there's only so much more. upside to having an empty stomach, you know, you can only. <laughs> <laughs> True story, right? Yeah. Yes. We got to not be afraid to charge what we're worth. And I, I mean, have you ever told anybody like, who is afraid to uh, charge more than they think they should? And you just throw out a, have them throw out an outrageous number and you say, why don't you charge that to see what happens? Yeah. Yeah. And what? you know, what if you could double it? Why not? Why not? There are so it? many things where people will pay more sometimes mm -hmm. and for so many interesting reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And another way to think about that is like, not everybody wants to buy a Rolex. You've got an Omega and you've got a Rolex like right next to each other, comparable prices, both hit different markets. And then you never know who's going to be able to pay that, but they, they're going to attract a certain type of person. If that's the type of person you want to work with, that's what you need to charge. Yeah. You know, you want to both. Out, yeah, <laughs> always both. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan of that. Cool. And if all else fails in life too, having those, that's, a, that's another story for another day, but <laughs> you know, can't be a, people are willing, people will pay lots of dollar amounts for the, some of the most mundane things sometimes. So we can't be afraid to allow ourselves to be one of them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. That is rampant right now. So <laughs> I think it, I think it has been for a long time, but it's very obvious to me at this point in my life. It's like, you're paying how much for that? <laughs> what do you charge on meal delivery services? You know, HelloFresh and all that stuff. Like, what do you pay for that? What do you pay for Netflix? What do you pay for? I mean, when you put it into perspective, we pay all kinds of money for all kinds of random stuff that doesn't really add that much to our lives. Charging more yeah. for what we do and definitely have more value. And, you know, I think we deserve to, to yeah. pay more. And the more, earn, the more we earn, the more good we can do in the world, the more we can afford to actually help those in need who want to otherwise criticize us for earning more. So it actually can be a win-win. I yes. love that. I love yes. that. I would, just, I really, I, that's why I wanted to have you on because I love the whole mindset of changing the whole starving artist thing. It's like, you can, yeah. how many people can you help and can you serve and can you entertain if you're poor? Not that many. There's nothing wrong no. with being wealthy, making money at what you do and not having to think about your bills all the time. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yep. Yeah. And the more we have, the more we can express ourselves as artists that way too. So, yeah. you know, we can better, you know, better art made from being, you know, with a full stomach, with your cup full, with your life, you know, healthy and, ha and happy as opposed to being miserable and starving and struggling. Yeah. You know, there's not only so much... <laughs> yeah exactly <I'm> sorry <laughs> and where's yeah. the value in being starving yeah who do you help who do you serve yeah. who do you entertain how much does exactly. your art suffer from working that too a different job that drains you and then you have to kind of steal time to do what it is you're trying to get done that's right yeah. so brian you also have a you have a facebook group too right 
Yeah, it's called CEO Artists. It's a great group where I share a lot of resources and I'll admit I need to, I'm going to start doing some more trainings and live videos and stuff in there pretty soon, but I share a lot of material. And, you know, one other thing I tell people is starting a private group, you know, on Facebook or anywhere else, build a community. Community buildings can be the fastest way to make a great income. It's kind of fun. You can have no clients, which actually, when I started really building the group, I didn't have any clients at the time a couple of years ago. And before you know it, people start joining, people start assuming someone in here has to be your client. So I'll be one too, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, it, that's how it, just how it works. So oh, you know, awesome. starting a group is a great way to do. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> and for anybody yeah. who's on LinkedIn, you can do groups on LinkedIn too. Yeah. LinkedIn. It's, I, yep. There's, it's challenge. It's more challenging. Now people aren't as active on LinkedIn as, as Facebook, but still, you know, yeah. it's a great way, great way to get build community, get people together meet more people. And you just never know what kind of opportunities might come out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, where can people find you? Yeah. My website's the lucrativeartist.com and um, facebook.com slash the lucrative artist, my Facebook page. And I'm on Instagram and on Twitter and so forth. You know, where you can just email me, Brian at the lucrativeartist.com. Anyone can contact me. You know, if you want to sell that email address, so be it. Now that you know it. But yeah, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, anyone's welcome to get in touch. And I'm happy to talk because, you know, we all need help in this stuff and I'm happy to be there. Awesome. All right. I appreciate Brian, you coming on. And it, it, yeah, I thanks for having be, me. Yeah, I really thought this would be a good conversation. For the first mm-hmm. week of the year, no matter when you guys are hearing this, yeah. it's like the beginning of 2022. And like, yeah. you know, like let's, the pandemic hit a lot of musicians hard. Let's talk, mm-hmm. let's talk positively about a positive mindset and, 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 you know, not, not getting in that position where we feel like we've got to draw on unemployment, you know, that we are able to mm-hmm. take care of ourselves and, and, and move on in a healthy, positive, a wealthy way, lucrative right. way. Lucrative. That's right. <laughs> and there, there are people that need us. Yes, exactly. Yes. So thank you for being with us, Brian. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And and thank everyone who is listening for tuning in. If you liked it, uh, let us know in the comments. Subscribe, please. That helps us a lot. And as always, share with all your friends. Please do. Thank you. (laughs) Bye, everyone. All right. Bye. Hey, musicians. Did you know that up to 90% of musicians will experience playing related pain or injury over the course of their career? How many hushed conversations have you heard about a lingering, quote, shoulder pain or a weird tingling in your fingers or maybe low back pain or a crampy weakness or maybe you or your colleague just says, I just have to get through the gig and you watch them pop Advil like candy, maybe flush it down with whiskey. How many times have we seen something like this? So many, right? Well, it's time we start talking about our struggles, our pain, our frustrations in a private space where we don't just complain and mobilize and blindly stretch, but we learn how to strengthen our muscles, our career successes, and build each other up. I've got a brand new program that combines all of these things, and I want you to be a part of it. It's a community, not a workout. It's a community with group coaching and great content that in 12 weeks, we'll have you understanding more about your body, what you need, and how you work so you can avoid that career-threatening injury. The three things that musicians don't want, we don't want to be injured, we don't want to have a lack of stamina, and we don't want to be clueless, aka when you hurt, who do you go see? Just a quote doctor? Well, this program addresses all of those things. You're going to walk away with an immense knowledge of 
who to see. You're going to be empowered because you're going to know what to do should you ever get injured or should you have a colleague that gets injured. You will be able to actually offer appropriate advice. You're also going to learn about the body and the anatomy as it relates to playing your instrument and your own anatomy. And then you're going to learn how to build not just your strength and endurance, but you're going to learn how to design your own corrective exercise program. So I hope you will join me in this new program. It's called the Music Strong Pilot Program, Job Security for Musicians.